You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 993 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Friday evening. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and from there, you'll get 15% off your next order with Built Bar. Today's podcast is a little bit of an extra show. It's Friday night, not a typical recording time for me, but had a little bit of space here. And going into the weekend, the Hawks do not play, of course, until Sunday night, so a long break in between games and a lot to cover. Some some extra stuff here. We'll get into some playoff seating projections slash scenarios at the top of the podcast, followed by an ESPN ranking that got some attention. And then we'll end the show with some awards talk. Basically, I'll go through the entire uh, Hawks slate of potential award considerations and break them down. So, first though, we'll start on the pressing matter at hand between um, basically the Hawks and everybody else the next few days. Atlanta does not play, of course, on Friday night or Saturday night. Um, There are no games that affect the Hawks directly on Friday, which makes this podcast easier to record because things heat up on Saturday. So, broadly speaking, Basketball Reference has the following odds for the Hawks. 61.6% to finish in the 4 seed, 35.5% at the 5 seed, and only a 2.9% chance at the 6 seed in the playoffs. ESPN and 538 both project 41-31 for the Hawks, basically just a win, of course. They are going to be favored to win that game on Sunday, but they also have both the Knicks and the Heat splitting their last two games at 40-32. and Now, that's probably not what I would project, honestly. I think... Because of all the scenarios in play, like, for example, Miami plays Milwaukee on Saturday. Uh, Milwaukee doesn't have a whole lot of incentive to win that game. Uh, Milwaukee might want to let (laughs) Miami get into the top five because they want to avoid Milwaukee in the first round. Uh, Sorry, they want to avoid Miami in the first round because Miami has had Milwaukee's number in recent days. So if that's a factor, that might play in. Obviously, various teams are in different situations at this point in time. So uh, projections can only take you so far this time of year. You have to kind of use your brain as well, as well as the injury report. So... You know, that would be favorable for the Hawks, obviously, but uh, we'll we'll sort of see. I think most people that I've, I've talked to about this kind of project Miami and New York to both finish at 41 and 31, um, but we'll see what happens from there. Um, in fact, the scenarios, we went over at least a little bit last night, but some more detail here that we'll get into now. Um, as I've said a number of times, the Hawks win a three-way tiebreaker with the Knicks and the Heat. If they all three tie, the Hawks will have the four seed no matter what the record is, even if even if they all lose. So, for instance, if the Hawks were to lose um, somehow <laughs> on Sunday uh, and then have both the Heat and Knicks split, the Hawks still get the four seed, etc. So, um, the most the most likely scenario in that case is, for me, everybody winning out and the Hawks get the four seed in that instance. Then you have a scenario where the Hawks win and the Heat finish with a better record than Knicks. So, basically, either Miami goes 2-0 against New York's 1-1, or... Miami goes 1-1, and and the Knicks somehow lose both. Whatever it is, Miami over New York with a better record. That would be Atlanta as the 4 seed, Miami as the 5 seed, New York as the 6 seed. If the Hawks win, then the Knicks finish with a better record than the Heat, which is the exact scenario in the in, in reverse. The Hawks would be the 5 seed in that instance because the Knicks had the two-way tiebreaker with the Hawks. So it would be Knicks 4, Hawks 5, and Heat 6. It, now, there's some scenarios with, with, with the Hawks losing. Again, not likely, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, the Hawks lose, and then both the Heat and Knicks both split. Again, a three-way tie goes to Atlanta, and any 
way, shape, or form. If the Hawks lose and then the Heat split and the Knicks went out, it would be Knicks 4, Hawks 5, and Heat 6. The Hawks can only be the 6th seed if they lose and either the Heat and the Knicks both sweep, because then they would be both ahead of the Hawks, or if the Heat sweep and the Knicks split because the Hawks lose a 2 by tiebreaker with the Knicks. So, all that said, any tie with the Hawks um, and the Heat will go towards the Hawks. Any three-way tiebreaker goes toward the Hawks, etc. So, by the way, the Hawks can even clinch the four seed potentially before they even play on Saturday. It's not likely, but if the Heat and the Knicks both lose on Saturday night, which is possible given their matchups, um, the Hawks could actually not have to, anything to play for at all on Sunday. That's in play. I would, again, not say that's likely, but it's at least a possible scenario. Obviously, I'll be firing away on Twitter about this on Saturday into Sunday. I recommend following me if you want to catch up on all the latest. Um, but no podcast between now and the Hawks game, so uh, that's the latest time that we'll talk about that. But obviously, uh, there are all kinds of scenarios in play here. There's a big debate happening in my mentions almost daily, about, or I guess almost hourly at this point, about who the, about who Hawks fans want to play in the first round. I've weighed in, and I've said I'd rather play the Knicks. Um, that's not a, it's not a slight to the Knicks. They've actually had a great season, but I would much rather play the Knicks than the Heat. I think the Heat are more dangerous. They have a playoff-tested roster. They're rounding into form right now, etc. I know the Knicks were better against the Hawks this year, but I would uh, bank on the broader um, history and want to avoid Miami if I could. Okay, before we get to the rest of the podcast, and again, we'll have much more playoff stuff coming on Sunday night's podcast. Before we get to all of that, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Baseball is in full swing right now, and you can track all the action and much, much more at betonline.ag. BetOnline is both the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Get all the latest news, odds, and information for all of your sporting needs, including the NBA, of course, with MLB, NHL, UFC, golf, soccer, tennis, auto racing, entertainment bets, and much, much more. BetOnline also has all of the props and future bets you could possibly want, and they offer live wagering options on a ton of events, which can add a lot of intrigue when you're watching any game. Before the next pitch or dribble, head over to BetOnline.ag on your laptop or mobile device. You can check out the news, contest information, and sign-up bonuses right now. Take this chance to get off the sidelines and take your opportunity to get into the game as teams prepare for the run to the playoffs. If you visit BetOnline.ag right now, you can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline. That is a 50% bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On, one more time, that is promo code Locked On, fifty percent more and a welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and before we get to some awards talk, there was a ESPN Future Power Rankings post that came out this week that I was gonna avoid, but then people kept asking me about it, so I'll weigh on it a little bit here. Um, every single year, this comes out. And it's basically a five-category like formula that they have. Without going into all of it, you can find it on ESPN Insider. Um, it's like you know, money is one of them, which is basically salary cap stuff, flexibility-wise. There's a, there's a talent one on the roster, management, uh, market is always a controversial one because the Hawks are in a pretty small market in terms of NBA stuff, but also a big market in terms of real-world stuff, etc. Anyway, I'm not gonna do the entire Zapruder Films style breakdown of this, but the Hawks were number 16 on this list, and that felt low to people, um, including me. Um, last year they did, they did rise. They were six spots higher. They were 22 last year. The growth is obviously positive and that was reflected by what was happening on the court. Of course, with the Hawks improving by leaps and bounds from last year, a few things though, there is one snippet in the text about the Hawks at 16, um, basically projecting that that it's going to be short lived and that they're going to rise in the standings, which if you think about this, do the math in your head. Um, if the, (laughs) this is a future power ranking, but they are projecting the Hawks to rise in the future. 
which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But anyway, um, again, future power ranking that should be taken into account in the projections itself. But from there, you know, 16 is just too low for me. I'm not saying the Hawks should be in the top five because they probably shouldn't be at this point if you do their formula and all that stuff. But I think that there's a few teams that are pretty easily slid behind them in my view, like the Knicks for one. Um, again, not trying to pile on the Knicks, but I don't know why the Knicks are number seven on this list after their recent history. They've been bad for a long time with few exceptions. Yes, they're pretty good this year, but they don't really have the same like structure as from I would say roster wise that the Hawks do. They have more salary cap flexibility, but that's not always a great thing for the Knicks. So that was a puzzling one for me to see the Knicks that high. I like the Raptors are ahead of the Hawks. I'm not really sure why that would be the case right now. I know they won a title a couple years ago, but this is a future power ranking. They have some good players to be sure, you know, Ananobi, Siakam, Van Vliet, but their situation is not better than the Hawks, I don't think, in terms of like market and, you know, I know they have a good GM and all that stuff, but they, they are not exactly in the greatest situation at the moment and they were not very good this year, etc. So I don't have any more thoughts than that. If you want to read it, it's available to you. I'm not going to go through the entire thing because it's behind a paywall, but uh, not my favorite <laughs> ranking of the Hawks and we'll leave it right there. Okay, the rest of the podcast will be some award stuff. I'll dive in a little bit deeper on a couple of the main ones, but um, first, basically, I got a couple of mailbag questions that were kind of the same. It was some general form of what's going on with the Hawks Awards. Do they have chances to win, et cetera? So it's kind of a, a, sort of an inspiration for this. Sort of dive into all of them that the Hawks have at least a theoretical chance at. Um, we'll start with Sixth Man of the Year, just as a random starting off point. I think there's nobody that has a chance to win. Um, I think it would not be crazy to put Gallo on a ballot for, for Sixth Man of the Year. Now, he's not going to win. I wouldn't pick him to win either. And but honestly, six man of the year is kind of a weird field this year. I think Jordan Clarkson had this huge lead that he's kind of given away. Joe Ingles has a really good uh, formula with his efficiency. Um, if Gallo had played more, I think he would have been right in the mix here because he has been productive and efficient um, before the season started. I actually predicted that he would be in the mix here, and I think that would have been the case if he hadn't got hurt. But 13 points a game, um, 60 plus percent true shooting, which is obviously really good. Um, I think he'd have a better chance again. He only is not playing as much either. 24 minutes a game is more, is definitely less than I thought he was going to play coming into the year. And you kind of just need the counting stats to get into the race here on six man of the year. But that's one where um, it would not stun me if he got a vote or two for like third place, that kind of stuff. But he's not going to win, or and I don't think he's going to be in the top three. So, and he's the only option there for that award in my view. Most improved player is one that um, the Hawks could have had a couple chances at, but I think they don't really have a candidate right now. Um, the two guys who probably could have made their way into this are Bogdanovich and Hunter. Um, Bogey, if the season started when he came back from the injury, would have a really good case. Um, most of her players, not my favorite award. The criteria is never ideal. It's kind of hard to figure out who's going to win. Um, you know, Julius Randle's probably going to win this year. Um, but if Bogdanovich's numbers from the last like 25 games were actually real um, compared to last year, he would have a case because those that, that was definitely a big jump. He's the best he's ever been right now. But the missed time and the slow start probably take him off the list. And Hunter, you know, a lot of people won't vote for sophomores because they kind of are supposed to get better from year one to year two. But Hunter had a like a full-fledged breakout happening before he got hurt. And obviously, I think he's just, he hasn't played enough. So most improved player, you know, Capella, I guess, would have an interesting case. But I don't think he's going to – he was already good. I'll say that. Like, this is definitely the best year of his career, in my view, but not uh, the most massive leap. Collins – Collins and Young, kind of uh, similar to last year, etc. So that's probably it for that. Um, All-rookie team is the next category. Um, I think it would not be totally insane to have a Kongu on a second team, but I would not vote for him there. Um, the small sample size is part of it. He's outside of the top 20 in minutes of rookies. That's definitely going to have you be in some trouble unless you have big counting stats. He doesn't really have those. Um, he has been efficient. 
Uh, 65% true shooting for a Kongwu. That's actually really, really good. Um, defensively, he's, he's shown a bunch of flashes, and I think he's been pretty darn good in terms of the last couple of months. He had the slow start in the injury stuff. Another, I would say similar to Gallo in that if he had just been playing at this level of the last two months, he would probably be on a second-team all-rookie kind of situation. But obviously, the slow start and the lack of minutes will keep him off of there. Um, and then there's executive of the year as one that's sort of a, a shorter explanation here. I think based on the buzz of this, um, Travis Schleck's not going to win executive of the year, I don't think. But given the, given the criteria, I think he actually should be a pretty reasonable candidate for executive of the year. This is a weird one where they actually vote on it themselves. The executive vote on this, and it's a one-man ballot, so there's not really an actual like top three, top five ballot for executive of the year, which is kind of strange. But it's supposed to be just for this calendar year of performance. And I think if you just look at that, I think Schleck's case is pretty good. Um, it helps to have the Hawks be better in the standings, which obviously has happened. A big jump there. Um, he doesn't get credit for the Capella trade, though. That's the one thing that sort of dings him here, because Capella was last season. He didn't play, but that actually happened last year. So if that happened this year, he'd have an even better case, because that was probably the biggest move, honestly. Of, all the things, of everything that happened this year, bringing Capella is probably the number one reason why the Hawks are so much better. He's not the only reason by any means, but um, Bogdanovich we haven't listed as well, etc. But I think the Capella individual impact has been the biggest, and they don't get credit for that one. But Schlenk does get credit for Bogdanovich and Gallinari. Uh, the Lou Williams trade, I know, obviously Lou's not been fantastic, but the trade itself, getting getting two picks, again, getting two picks to get off Rondo, granted, Schlenk signed Rondo as well, but um, that's a you know that's a positive move. I think he obviously did a lot to overhaul the roster in a short period of time, and it worked out with a big jump in the standings, so um, it wouldn't surprise me if Schlenk got a vote somewhere, if, you, if that ballot comes out and you see the, uh, just remember that it's only one name per ballot. But uh, I don't think he's going to win it. I think it's going to be probably like uh, Leon Rose or whoever, who, I, don't, I don't know, whoever made a big splash. It probably won't be Schlank, but there you go on that. All right, before we get to some coach of the year, defensive player of the year, and all NBA stuff, the big guns coming up in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is spectacular, and if anything, it's more delicious than ever. Built Bar has a ton of amazing flavors that we've been talking about for quite some time on the podcast. That includes options with or without nuts, and it also features some of my personal favorites like lemon almond cheesecake and cookies and cream. Each and every bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're also soft and easy to chew, making the entire experience all that much better. And Built Bar is also great if you're trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while enjoying something that tastes absolutely incredible. Built Bar is also low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, and Built Bar is even great for the keto diet. My personal favorite, as I said a number of times, is cookies and cream, and the profile there from the health perspective is awesome. 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. It is a fantastic time to check out BuiltBar.com. Yes, that's BuiltBar.com. If you go there right now, you have 15% off with the promo code LOCKED15. If you use that promo code, once again, it's LOCKED15. That's 15% off on your next order with BuiltBar.com. Check it all out. There's plenty to check out at BuiltBar.com, and I recommend all the flavors. You can find it all at BuiltBar.com, and you can try Built Bar today. One more time, promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, and one final segment here before we get out of here and get into the weekend. Um, as I sort of said before the break, uh, three contenders for the more major awards and we'll dive into those now. Um, Coach of the Year is one that is definitely quite interesting. Uh, Nate McMillan, obviously everybody knows the story at this point. The Hawks were 14-20 and 20 when, he, when he took over. Um, now having 40 wins and counting with him on the bench has been a huge turnaround. He's done a great job. I think he's not going to win, 
based on some straw polls. There was one on Espedation that I actually uh, wrote about a little bit on the Espedation Reacts on Friday. Um, some of the straw poll stuff that's out there. It's generally speaking, the front runners are going to be Tom Thibodeau and Monty Williams right now. But McMillan um, has obviously done a great job. There's some stuff going against him, though. First and foremost, I think, is the sample size. Um, just not not coaching that many games. Uh, coaching less than 40 games this year is going to probably hurt him, obviously, on the ballots in some respects. Um, also, I think Thibodeau's case is pretty impressive, um, given where their talent was. You know, the Knicks, you know, the Hawks were bad last year, obviously, but everyone projected them to be better. Not quite this good, but certainly better and more competitive. The Knicks were supposed to be pretty bad this year, and most of the time, coach of the year is either the team that's the best in the league, like your Quinn Snyder and Monty Williams case, or it's a team that has a massive turnaround unexpectedly. And that is Tom Thibodeau this year. So uh, I think Thibodeau and Monty are going to be one and two in some order. I would vote for Thibodeau, honestly, if I'm just being candid about that. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I think McMillan would be a perfectly reasonable vote. He's been really, really good, obviously. I don't don't fault anybody for thinking he should win because he's been tremendous. I think the results speak for themselves on that. I'll be interested to see where he gets voted because of the dynamics. You know, not often do you see a guy basically coach half the season and actually be a coach of the year contender, but I think he's going to get plenty of top three votes, and that is totally reasonable. Um, We'll save Capella for the end. Uh, Go to All-NBA now for Trey Young. Um, obviously Trey's not going to have an MVP case or, you know, there's no offensive player of the year kind of case, but all NBA is a big one for Trey, you know, both contractually and all that stuff. Um, just for some numbers sake at the top of the Trey discussion, he is 13th right now in scoring 25.5 points, points per game. Obviously really good there, but down from last year, just a touch number two in assists, 9.4 per game, number two in assist rate, more than 45%. So that's obviously ex- excellent. I predicted him to finish number one in assists. He's not going to get there because Russell Westbrook, but number two is, is pretty good. Um, 59% sh- uh, true shooting on 33% usage. That's obviously a fantastic profile. His efficiency non-free throws is down a little bit. Um, Three-point shooting, 34% this year. That's not bad when you take the, the kind of diet that he takes, but it's not exactly a number that's going to help him in this kind of voting. But, you know, first and foremost, Trey is an elite offensive creator. Like, I'm not using that word lightly. He's elite at creating your offense, engineering your offense, captaining your offense. Um, 95th percentile. An EPM offense, 98th percentile, an offensive, um, um, you know, Raptor and all that stuff. Uh, sorry, is tied for seventh overall, an offensive Raptor with Kevin Durant, which is a pretty good company to keep. Cleaning the glass has the Hawks at plus 11.1 points per possession, uh, per hundred possession, I should say, when he's on the floor. So 11 points better per 100 when he's on the court. That is a top five percentile in the league. 99th percentile in on-off splits on offense, just carrying the offense in every way, shape, or form. It does seem unlikely, based on the straw polls, that he's going to actually make All-NBA, but I think he actually probably should be in the mix, and I think I would pick him. But the real crime here is that he didn't make the All-Star team. Now, this was litigated back then. I talked about it on the podcast a lot. I picked Trey for All-Star. He should have made All-Star, and it looks even sillier now that he didn't. Like Guys like uh, Sabonis and Vucevic and even Ben Simmons, for me, making ahead of Trey... Was the wrong, that was the wrong decision, and I said as much, especially Sabonis and Vucevic. It makes no sense at all. Um, both guys are good players. Sabonis had a good year, but um, Trey should have been the All-Star team, and he wasn't. Um, but in terms of the All-NBA stuff, you only get six guards, and with some of the crossover like fake votes of guys who are really wings that are eligible at guard, it gets even tougher. I think the four guys that we know, based on the reporting and the voting um, straw poll stuff that's been out there, that are going to make it uh, out of the six are Curry, Lillard, Doncic, and Chris Paul. Um, Paul's case is kind of weird because his kind of numbers are pretty low, but everyone seems to love Chris Paul this year, and I have no objection. He's been awesome for Phoenix. Um, then you have Harden and Kyrie in Brooklyn. Both guys have awesome numbers, but they've had, they've had some injury issues. Harden has the has the weird exit from Houston. 
I don't know. I don't know what to do with those guys, but they're definitely in play. And then like Donovan Mitchell and Zach Levine and Devin Booker. Um, even if you go with like Jimmy Butler or Paul George, if you want to go with those guys as guards, um, the case is kind of hard to get to in some ways. But I, you know, I know that both Nate Duncan, front of the podcast, Daniel Rue as well, put on their podcast had Trey as third team All NBA. I would actually echo that. I think he probably would be number six, which was the which is the last All NBA spot at guard for me. I don't think it's like criminal that he doesn't make it if he doesn't make it. And I think he's probably not going to just from what I'm hearing, but he's been underrated this year, like flat out underrated. The fact that Trey is not getting any buzz right now, it feels like for all NBA does not make a lot of sense to me. I think he's earned that, uh, you know, best player on a top four or five C in the East, probably um, that in addition to that, just like carrying the offense, the numbers are really good still. I think it's borderline for sure on all, all NBA, but he, he deserves some more bust, uh, some more buzz, I should say. And I think right now he, he just, it feels underrated to me. That's kind of where I'll leave it for the, at this moment. But he should have been an all-star flat out. And uh, I would certainly, I think, vote him as my second guard on third-team All-NBA. So it may not sound like a lot, but honestly, with the guard competition this year, that's pretty impressive, and Trey deserves some inclusion. Oh, okay, but finally, last award, slash, I guess it's kind of a double award here, is Clint Capella for Defensive Player of the Year or All-Defense. So I think Capella is the only guy on the roster that has any candidacy for All-Defense. That's pretty clear. But his case is as follows. Uh, he's number two in the NBA in defensive Raptor by 538, only behind Rudy Gobert. He's number two overall in ESPN's defensive RPM. He's a top five percentile player defensively in EPM. He leads the, he leads the NBA in defensive rebound rate. Um, top five in the league in total blocks and block rate. His on-off stats are remarkable this year. The Hawks, by the way, this is just the raw numbers, but they have a 108 defensive rating when Capella plays. That'd be top five in the NBA if he were just that number. About a 114 defensive rating when he sits, which would be 26 in the NBA. That tells you the Hawks are really, really good when Capella plays defense, and when he's off the court, they're really, really bad. And that's a pretty good indicator of his impact. Uh, cleaning the glass, our friends there have the Hawks at 9.3 points per 100 possessions better defensively. That's the 97th percentile with Capella on the court. Um, I'll say this now Rudy Gobert is going to win Defensive Player of the Year, and in my mind, he should uh, pretty comfortably. Um, that's not a shot, Click Capella. I think Rudy Gobert is going to win and should. But at this moment, I, I sort of teased this on Twitter today on, on Friday morning. I would vote Capella number two, I think, um, and no lower than number three. So I'll go through it. It might sound homerish. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you will know that I'm not really that guy. I'm pretty, I'm pretty level-headed and do not like go out of my way to puff guys up for no reason. The case for Capella is so clear in my mind, though. Maybe it's not I've seen him play every game this year and every minute this year, but um, we'll go through the, sort of the candidates here quickly. Again, Gobert, number one. Um, other candidates, uh, I think Joel Embiid would be a candidate, but Capella's played more minutes than him, pretty comfortably. Philly's been awesome defensively, but they're actually not that different um, statistically with Joel Embiid on the court versus off the court. And the same can be said for Ben Simmons. Um, and Ben Simmons is like a very popular number two defensive player of the year candidate. And honestly, Ben Simmons is awesome on defense. I'm not really sure why he is like kind of like a written in pen number two. Like he's obviously really good, but the, the impact numbers are not really there for him. Like Capella's numbers are much better defensively. And I think part of it is that Philly is awesome. Philly's a top two defense in the league basically this year. Top three at, at the worst. But they also have Embiid and Simmons and Matisse Thybul, who all have these crazy numbers. So you would think those guys would split some votes. I'm not really sure what's going to happen there. Whereas Embiid is really anchoring um, the Hawks defense. So obviously it's kind of what you want. Um, I, I guess more of a question of what you want, of what you're voting for, like the guy who's really carrying a less than stellar defense overall, but again, awesome when he plays or one of the guys who is like a, a ceiling raiser on an awesome defense. I don't really know what you're getting into there. Um, anyway, Miles Turner, 
has a pretty good case as well, but he's played a lot less minutes. He's been hurt late. I can't really vote him ahead of Capella. Oh, by the way, on, on the Philly case, the, uh, the Philly's been so much better with Embiid on the court um, overall, but it's really the offense. Like, obviously, Joel Embiid is a better offensive player than Clay Capella, but uh, I think defensively, you might say that Embiid's a better player, but better season defensively, I might go with Capella. Um, anyway, also, Drew Holiday is making his case, but I think him and Giannis kind of split votes, and those guys are really good. Obviously, no one's going to crap on Drew Holiday, but I think um, impact-wise, defensively this year, I would go with Capella. And then Miami Heat guys, Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. Um, Bam's also a guy I've seen in a lot of ballots. He's really good too. But I think Jimmy has been almost as good, if not better, um, defensively. Those guys might cannibalize each other defensively. And same sort of thing with the Philly guys. I think I'd go with the one guy who's kind of carrying things defensively in Atlanta. So, you know, in terms of all NBA, not all defense, I would not go with Capella for third team unless you get crazy and go with Jokic on on the forward line as as, uh, for some reason you're allowed to do. I would have Capella either fourth or fifth in terms of centers, and that does not that does not get you there. I think it's uh, Jokic one and B two Gobert three in some order in terms of the All NBA voting at center. But Capella might be four worst at worst five. Uh, him and Bam somewhere somewhere in that range for me. But um, I think defensively again it's been tremendous what he's done for the Hawks. It's a huge reason. I would I mean obviously I think Trey is the more valuable player overall in terms of just offense is more important than defense and carries the offense, but. I think you could you could honestly form an argument that Capella is the best is the most valuable player on the Hawks this year. I'm not sure I would go that far, but you could with the numbers. Like he has the bigger splits. Um, defensively, they just fall off a cliff when he leaves the game. I think Trey is certainly the better player. Don't get me wrong, but Capella's had an awesome season. And defensively, uh, I'm not trying to go crazy, but I, I really think that I would I would certainly full stop vote him second team All NBA on defense. Uh, sorry, all, second team All Defense. And honestly, I think I would if I had to vote if I had to vote today, and I don't. I would vote him number two defensive player of the year. That might seem homerish. I apologize if you don't like that, but uh, I, I really believe it. I think if you look at the numbers, uh, it's a pretty impressive case for Clint Capella. I don't think he's going to win. I, I think I'm, I think you're hoping that maybe he gets some second team All NBA love. Um, that's at least possible to me. But I would like to see him get on that ballot, and I, I th- I'm hoping he gets some uh, some some sort of due respect in the voting. Okay. Hopefully that covers the gamut. I couldn't go into all of the awards necessarily because they don't all, all have Hawks connections. Like MVP is not really, um, you know, especially as I actually thought Trey had a pretty decent um, Dark Horse chance. I was not, not going to get there, etc. So um, it wouldn't stun me if the Hawks got shut out of awards altogether in terms of like top threes or whatever. I think McMillan, Trey, and Capella all have pretty decent cases, um, but we'll see what happens all there when the season's over. But this is sort of a good time to get into this because once the playoffs start, and obviously the, se- the series will be set after Sunday, at the latest, and it'll be pretty much all playoffs all the time until the Hawks lose on this podcast. Maybe some uh, asides here or there, but and then once that ha- once that season ends, I will dive into the draft as I always do on the podcast. So we'll be very busy. So it was a good good time to get into awards now, even with one game remaining. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that on a Friday night into Saturday. Again, the scenarios are fast and furious over the weekend. The Hawks could clinch four seed by by Saturday night if you want to get crazy. So. Hawks back in action Sunday night, 7 o'clock. No betting line yet because we're still two days away. No injuries yet. We're still two days away. Keep an eye on my Twitter feed if you'd like to at BT Roland. Follow the show at Locked on Hawks. Please follow slash subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends all that fun stuff, and we'll see you after the game on Sunday.